How I Met My Murder contains graphic content and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. One, two, three, four. Good night, ladies. Good night, ladies. Good night, ladies. We're going to leave you now. Right now. Hello, murderellas, and welcome to another episode of How I Met My Murder. I'm Norma. And sadly, there is no Amanda tonight. Um, she and her husband are on a much-deserved vacation. So um, tonight we will have my dear husband, Burton, filling in. I'm Burton. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's a very special episode tonight. You know, like, uh, not in the uh, after-school special kind of very special episode. There, there's mm. not going to be a moral at the end and... You know, nobody's going to learn what it is to smoke pot the first time and then destroy their lives. It's not um, <laughs> But instead, uh, a good friend of mine has come down and he is going to be under the moniker of Morty the Mortician tonight because he would like to keep some anonymity, but he is a mortician. So um, he'll be answering some questions and talking to us all about his career and how it relates to the true crime field. So if you'd like to... Introduce yourself and say hello. Hello, folks. This is Morty, your dear mortician. <laughs> Thanks for having me tonight. We're excited for you to be here. Yeah. Um, it's actually been really cool. Um, he and I have been friends since we were little kids. And uh, he came down for the weekend to, to hang out with us and, and catch up and was kind enough to agree to be interrogated. So <laughs> <laughs> Happens to me all the time, actually. Yeah. So um, we're going to get started with our usual which is weird crime of the week weird crimes weird crime of the week <laughs> so the weird crime this week is hot sauce prank illinois student um charged with spiking the cafeteria marinara sauce i guess this one's a little spicy uh a suburban <laughs> <laughs> suburban chicago prankster faces five counts of misdemeanor battery charges after he spiked his high school's cafeteria's marinara sauce with the ultra hot sauce not sold in grocery stores. According to the Chicago Tribune, three staffers were taken to the hospital on May 14th following reports of wheezing, coughing, shortness of breath, um, rashes, and reported to the cafeteria at, uh, and were, were reported at the cafeteria in Highland Park High School. This is from like last year. Uh, the staff members were hospitalized after inhaling the fumes from the fiery Da Bomb hot sauce, which a 17-year-old male student had covertly snuck into a container of marinara sauce, prompting one student who ate the sauce to warn cafeteria workers who pulled it from behind to serve others. So if somebody was even like, nah, bro, don't, don't use that. Don't eat the sauce. <laughs> don't eat it. Uh, the staffers were released from the hospital later that day without serious injuries, and no students reported serious in injuries. I wonder where he would have gotten it if it's not sold in stores. The internet. Where do you get everything? The internet. I mean, is that something you can order off Amazon, you think, is like not sold in stores? I sold? guess they don't have an 18-year-old limit on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the student's case will likely be referred to juvenile court. Um, and the school has directed officials to install security cameras in the cafeteria to help avert any similar pranks in the future. According to Da Bomb Hot Sauce's website, 
The sauce's spiciest variety reaches a heat level of, uh, oh, wow, 1.5 million Scoville units, similar to what law enforcement grade pepper spray uses. Ouch. Why would you want to eat that in the first place? I don't know. Apparently, okay, so the website describes it as, it's radioactive. It lays waste to all who dare set it off. Rated at 1.5 million Scoville units, it is not used for direct consumption. Then what the fuck do you use it for? Yeah, I... I can't um, imagine. Well, Unless, if they you, decide to visit that it, website, they'll have intent. That's yeah. for sure. Is it Morning. the primary use in pepper? Is that the primary ingredient in pepper spray? I guess. It says um, not to use more than a tiny drop at a time. And warning, do not eat this sauce straight out of the jar. You will die. So it is unclear which variety of the De Bomb uh, hot sauce they used for the high school prank, but five counts of battery. So... That's pretty intense. <laughs> but you know who I feel bad for in this now is the cafeteria workers who have to live with the security camera all the time and just be like, I mean, it's already rough to do your job, but then to have a camera constantly watching you, maybe that's just me, guys. I would be very nervous. I would just be like, <laughs> yeah. and I don't really do anything wrong in my job. I would just be very nervous. Like, why is this like, camera working? Like, oh me? my God, did I scratch myself and forget to change my gloves? Working in food service is hard. Working around kids is hard. Doing both would just be, well, rough. <laughs> a nightmare. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, that's our weird crime for the week. Um, for whatever reason, we tend to stick with uh, food related weird crime. There's a lot of them. Um, like the guy who tried to burn down his ex lover's house with spaghetti sauce, or. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I remember that episode. Something about the uh, sketty. Who, yeah. who wakes up at two in the morning to make sketty? Yeah. I think is that so, how the saying goes. Just when you thought you'd heard it all. Yeah. Lots of weird stuff. So, um, don't want to don't wanna beat around the bush much. We are here to interview Morty the Mortician. And um, Morty, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into being a mortician? Well, it was really one thing led to another. Uh through a series of misfortunes, uh, which culminated <laughs> with me being laid off from a job that I had worked for several years and was hoping to get a promotion out of, I started to hit the streets with my resume and look for a new line of work. One of the places I just happened to stop into was a funeral home, and they uh, they voiced a lot of confidence in my demeanor and my vocabulary, and uh, before I left that day, I had a job. Just after walking in, and they already had planted the seed of a uh, possibly mortuary school being in my future. And uh, like I say, one thing led to another. I felt like I was getting a lot of positive feedback, which was a first in a workplace for myself. <laughs> and so I decided to uh, take the plunge and go ahead and make a career out of it. I will say as someone who has been very close friends with our dear Morty since we were like, what, five, six years old? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, yep. No part of me is terribly surprised that this is the uh, career path you ended up on. I hear that sometimes. <laughs> but, but in his defense, not many people walk into a you know job interview or a place looking for employment, and not only do they want to hire you, they're like, "We will invest in your future as a, like for schooling." That's right. very impressive. You are a mortician. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's just one of those things, kind of like we were talking about earlier. I just thought. Because this is something that I can handle and am willing to handle, and because there may not necessarily be that many people for whom that's true, I felt like if I did not pursue this, that I would really be missing a boat, so to speak. And so... Yeah, that's pretty smart. That's awesome. Um, well, do you mind if I start the first question? Yeah. 
because I've, I've got a list here from the listeners. They wanted to know some things. Yeah. Um, a lot of these questions come from our friends at the Dear Go Postal podcast. So thank you. And we look forward to the meetup. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later tonight, though. All right. The first question they have is, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? I'll tell you what. I, I suppose that would ma- uh, that would depend on worst in what way. And so I, I have a couple of things in mind, really. Uh, the grossest thing I can ever recall seeing would be a man who passed away in his vehicle. And I'm not sure if they ever did figure out the exact circumstances, but he was actually wedged between, he was in the floorboard behind the passenger and driver's seat and in front of the rear seat of a, of a large SUV. And he was there for some time, probably three weeks or so. Ooh, and uh, yeah. it was in the he warm was weather. He was, he was right there at that vector point where pretty much all the soupiness and putrescence, all the nastiness that could develop had, but he had not yet benefited from any of the desiccation or drying out or airing out you know, oh. that, that will eventually come. And so he was really about at that worst point. And having to get him out, pull him out of this place where he was wedged in just made it all the grosser. Oh, um, you know, ruptures, hemorrhaging, so on and so forth. Uh, what so. about as far as... Um... This is a true crime podcast. Was what about as far as like crime scenes? Because I know you, you you see a lot of crime scenes. Yes, uh, I would say universally the worst ones are where uh, children have been murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did you see that a lot? Well, I, I wouldn't say a lot, um, but you see it. Uh, and, and perhaps I should clarify. I am employed as a mortician, but I've worked in this industry in a number of different capacities, which includes having served with a coroner's office, a county coroner's office. And it is through that which I have seen crime scenes. Um, I would say probably a few times a year Mm -hmm. uh, for me personally. There, There might be more incidences than that, but if each of the people on, you know, in a given place, uh, go and see a few a year, that probably adds up to about the total. So I've probably seen a dozen or so mm-hmm. situations where uh, where minor children have been murdered. Um, and I, I think that those are probably the worst. And that's particularly true if the circumstances are such that the children realized what was happening or what was about oh. to happen. Uh, yeah. And so emotionally and psychologically, I think that that, that, that is probably the worst. Um, well, especially seeing some horrific things like that, like how do you balance the macabre that you see with just daily life? Is, is it a lot of self-medication? Is it a lot of like... Well, it's a, I guess that's kind of a two-part answer. To, to the extent that uh, people who do what I do do balance it with a, with a daily life, so to speak, I think it's pretty much the same way that anybody else would deal with the stress at their job. We make sure that we get in those extracurricular trips... We try to socialize enough with friends, uh, so on and so forth, and, and just try to sort of pamper ourselves, you know, emotionally mm-hmm. um, to counterbalance that. Now, the other part of that answer is we really, most people who work in my line of work actually have a lot of trouble finding a balance with ordinary life, and it's because the macabre is our ordinary life. This is because of 80-hour work weeks, you know, months-long stretches with no vacation, and so... I guess if you want to do this, you have to accept the possibility that there might not be an everyday life to balance because oh, wow. this will take it over. Luckily, you have all of your outdoorsy. This, look, y'all, he is a very special mortician because his favorite way to deal with all of this is to just disappear into the woods and yep. 
hunt and fish and play with guns. He loves guns. Actually, I'm totally going to tell on you. Um, so my husband and I um, purchased a house about a year ago, and that's where we're recording tonight. And uh, this is the first time that Morty has had an opportunity to visit us in our new house. So his housewarming gift, <laughs> he brought us a zombie killer shotgun. Like, this thing looks like some shit out of an action movie. I'm not a gun person, so I, I couldn't tell you anything, like, for reals about it. Morty could tell you literally anything uh, about it. So uh, he, he brought us that, and then he brought me, like, a little lady gun. It's a little lady handgun. It's got a nice little little lady grip. I could just, you know, stop her, my mom will shoot. I would be the mom shooting. So, um, there you go. I think, I think the big zombie killer would just be, you probably don't even have to have it loaded. I think just the appearance would scare just, the just shit the, out of anybody that happens to be it's a, you know, intruding. They are a well, they are renowned home defense weapon. It's, it's a pump action shotgun, folks. And so uh, this would, it, you would not want to try and force your way in. On your host here, I'll say that. But she, <laughs> she, she and her lovely husband, they have got a pump-action shotgun, and they have got a sub-nose thirty-eight. So, yeah, beware. We also have a sword, and that <laughs> might be a whole other story. But uh, we're we're just we're ready, guys. Like we we yeah. are we are well prepared. And we that. have two guard dogs named Scone and Macaroon. They're vicious, vicious guard dogs. Vicious guard Pomeranians. <laughs> they're pretty frightening when they're right up in your face on your lap. <laughs> Uh, well, they, they realize we're talking about us and like giving us fuck off looks. Yeah, <laughs> so we are guard dogs, guys. We are. A keep away to more schools. Anyway, sorry. Well, uh, we could get off tangents with our dogs all day. Oh, no, but, tangents uh, are great. We're all about tangents here. Well, I do have a so. Obviously, the the children thing is very rough, and we could probably spend some time just exploring that. But maybe other than that, because there's other aspects of the job that might be tough, what are some of the worst things about being a mortician? I, I think probably the single worst thing about being a mortician, and, and of course, this is going to depend some on exactly where you work and exactly what capacity you work in, but the hours. Uh, the hours are brutal. We, we work long shifts. And we go a long time without any time off uh, or any time off for vacations. And I would say that that is the single uh, greatest drawback to this line of work. Is there a reason why that is? is I mean, you talk about that you've got long shifts. Is it, I'm assuming it's because you have to get the job done. This is not something that can wait. I mean, but maybe you can elaborate I on think, that. I think that that's some of it. And uh, I, I think a big factor in the grueling hours is the fact that change in in the death industry comes very slowly uh it, there tends to be a lot of inertia in general against change S- slow as death maybe uh, as <laughs> death, perhaps <laughs> but um it was not such a rare thing 50 years ago for an employer to expect this just as a rule of thumb from their employee yes you will be available every day you know that i need you to work um the thing is, our society, our workforce is no longer structured like that, but the death industry just has not caught up with that reality. And so we, 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 have, a, we have a 60 or 70-year-old work culture, but it is 2018, and uh, they just have not, those differences have not been reconciled yet. Okay. That was good. Cool. Um, well, one of our listeners would like to know, what do the bodies smell like? Do you ever get used to the smell? I'll tell you what. Um, do you get used to the smell? 
you become somewhat more tolerant, but you've always got those certain ones. Some of, some of the most seasoned morticians I have seen, people who have been doing this twice as long as I've been alive, they still have those ones that will make them double over and gag. It, it, it can just be a, uh, it's just one of those uncontrollable things. Not that there aren't some people, you know, there might be those iron stomachs and noses out there who, who really aren't bothered by it at all, but uh, uh, no, you, you don't really get used to it. And, and I think along those lines, there, there are two kinds of people I've mm-hmm. learned. There are the people who can look at anything you know, or or the people who can handle any smell, but but almost nobody is both. <laughs> okay. uh, almost nobody is both. And That's how you get a tag team going, like right, yeah. right. But 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 what do they smell like? That's going to depend just on the condition of the body. Um, or in the earlier, a freshly dead corpse. Of course, there's very little smell at first, and then it doesn't take long for there to be a very sharp. Uh, putrid odor that emanates from the mouth and the nose and, and from other openings uh, as gases begin to escape the body. Um, as they start to move along, that just intensifies. It gets worse and worse. And then eventually, once they start to reach the advanced, more advanced stages of decomposition, you have, and I have thought about how to describe this, and it's very hard, it's an overpowering mustiness and staleness. The closest thing I could, you know, could compare it to would be a, say, a rodent's cage. The wood chips that are in bad need of changing. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you've ever smelled that and can imagine that, but just times a thousand. Oh. It's, it's a very unique so odor and hard to describe. Basically, it is the equivalent of like a thousand kindergarten class pet cages. Like... Mr. Wiggles, Mr. Jiggles, Mr. <laughs> Smiles, Mr. Hanky, all of their cages together is what... I, I think that that would probably be pretty accurate, yes. And, and, and you know, if anybody with pertinent experience can think of an accurate way to describe the sort of smell that I'm trying to, I think I've clued you in enough. Please, I will take suggestions because I actually did ask around the mortuary and everybody knows the smell, but it's very hard to describe. I think we know what the next... You know, Twitter question will be. It might be in conjunction when this episode is released. Is what what a dead body smell like? How can we you know accurately describe this? And that's... But I, I do have a related question. So when you are preparing bodies for people who are going to have an open casket funeral or wake, some way where they will see the body, is there anything you have to do to cover up the smell? Uh, yes. Generally, the embalming process itself will take care of most of the foul odors. But occasionally it won't. And so, you know, the, a casket provides a lot of room and a lot of places to hide different powders. We, we, we have anti-odor powders. They have little sponges you can put in the casket that will soak up uh, odors. And, of course, that is where the whole flower tradition came from. Uh, originally was to cover up the odor of the deceased. Literally never thought about that, but that totally makes um, sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that was the thing. And of course, candles are common, but um, generally, by the time they've been embalmed and they are going to be laid out, there generally is not a very offensive odor. Uh, so, because if they are far along enough in decomposition that uh, the embalming would be impossible or the, uh, or the odor just would not be overpowered, mm-hmm. generally other decisions as far as ceremonies will be made. Uh, I know that you've told me that you are pretty freaking good at makeup at this point because of this. Or, <clears throat> are there any other little fun extra talents that you end up with? Fun little extra talents? Well, like, you know, you're... 
Mr. Uh, Lumberjack Man is not who you would mm-hmm. automatically assume is like, girl, let me take you to the makeup counter. I can get you some like killer highlight and I can contour. But obviously you can do those things. So do you have any other um, extra talents you've picked up? I, I think that I have. Um, of course, the makeup is a strange talent, but I think maybe the most unlikely one for me, uh, you know, if you were to ask people who know me, I'm actually a deeply compassionate person. I'm very able to make a person believe that there's nothing else in the world that matters to me but the pain that they're going through. And I think that I'm very good at reaching those people who are a lot of times unreachable and being able to at least interject a little bit of order and understanding into what is going on at an uncertain and very painful time in their lives. That's great. And so, so I think that that is my, probably my forte and my most unlikely talent. <laughs> well, you, you have, imagine you've had a lot of practice at compassion. It is, like you said, a very difficult time for people. Yes, sir. Um, are we allowed to ask, and I say that because I don't know if things are trademark or secrets, or if there's different secrets between the different mortuaries, how does the embalming process actually work? I mean, is there a way for sure. you to kind of briefly walk us through like what happens from when a body is rolled in? Absolutely, and I and I would love to seize that opportunity because there is there is so much misinformation. Y'all should and, see the just glow that just came over him. He's <laughs> so excited to talk about this. It's uh, and anybody, I'm sure morticians are going to listen to this, and this is for you all too. All right, it, just for all of the. You should tell them about the tattoo too. Oh, I, I, it's a, they want me to, it's a secret. Come on now. They want me, they want me to get a tattoo over my clavicle or thereabouts that would, that would uh, designate the spot for the proper raising of the carotid uh, artery and the uh, jugular vein. Uh, it's a, it's a thing I know several morticians who have done, and she would love for me to have it done. I don't know. <laughs> totally want to take you to get it because I just want to be there for this. I guess it depends on how much bourbon is in our future, but, um, I can make bourbon happen for you. Oh, we can gosh. get this done. I'm... Hell, I'll take you to the place we got comic books today because they're all in Birmingham. There is a comic book slash tattoo parlor, so you can like buy a trade while you're picking out your tattoo. We so... can go to the bourbon restaurant. There's a place called Dram. It's all style like a Kentucky yeah. bourbon barrel. Dis- yeah, so barrel. we can, yeah, we'll so take we... you to Dram, if you, if and you then we'll the take you to Sanctum. And we'll get you some, uh, we'll get you a tattoo or two. <laughs> I might get inked, y'all. We'll just have to see here. We'll just have to see. But no, uh, the, the process, the template process for most bodies is pretty straightforward. Um, of course, you're going to get them from the stretcher or whatever you have them on the cot over to your embalming table. There's your first step. And, and, and your first order of business is to get all of your utensils ready and to do what they call setting the features. Uh, setting the features and posing. Um, you're trying to get them laying in a natural, in a relatively straight position, their, their whole body, and then you're going to close the mandible. You're gonna close the mouth and close the eyes. There are a number of ways to do that. We generally use what's called a needle injector gun to send spikes, metal spikes, into the upper maxill, into the maxillary, and into the mandible and we actually wire the jaw shut. Um, If we can't find a proper anchoring spot, then we will actually use, uh, we'll just suture it, we'll use ligature, which is just a fancy name for string. And uh, we'll we'll just, we'll go in through the bottom gums and up through the tissue in the top, or some people will actually come out through the nose and through the septum and back again. Uh, but anyhow, there are a number of ways, but closing the eyes and the mouth is, is the priority. And you want to use cotton in most cases or some other substance 
once we die, it does not take very long at all for our skin to begin losing its shape. And it, it, it can mm. seem very subtle, but it is dramatic. It really is. And, and you don't know this until you start to put cotton under the lips and then the cheeks to restore that appearance. But anyhow, that, getting the face looking right is the first step and, and getting the body laying right. Uh, the next step would be raising, what they call raising. This is going to be the injection site. Uh, you raise generally, if you can. Most morticians will go for the right carotid artery and the right jugular. There are a number of, uh, the, the jugular vein that is, folks, for drainage. You inject through the arteries and you drain through the veins. Um, some other morticians will go for other spots, but that is the most common one. Uh, so you raise the artery and you open it to insert a cannula. A cannula is just a fixture that's attached to a hose that runs the embalming machine. That's what you'll inject through. And then you can either clip the vein completely like some people do, or the best thing is really to just open it somewhat like you did the artery and insert forceps or some other device so that you can manipulate the pressure of the circulatory system because that will uh, affect your uh, distribution, the distribution and diffusion of the fluids. Uh, and so... So it's just, in, in essence, you're, it's almost like where you're taking the blood out and then putting the embalming very fluid back much. in. Yes, and it, that is really about the best way you could put it. I've heard it described as a human oil change. Uh, oh, part, that's awesome! But yeah, I mean, pardon <laughs> the crudeness, folks, but, but that's really not entirely inaccurate. We're trying to remove gases, pathogens, just, just anything that's in the body that will accelerate decomposition. Because I know a lot of, of your coloring comes from you know, the, your capillaries being filled and, and sure, your blood sure. in you. So is, is the fluid tended or does it just happen to be? Yes, uh, the, the fluid is deliberately dyed. I, I think that a lot of them might be clear in their normal state, but the manufacturers themselves do dye these fluids, uh, mostly for the benefit of the mortician, I think, because we can cosmetize the body afterwards, restore the natural colors. But one of the most important things you watch uh, during the injection process. Mac Macaron did not like hearing about the uh, the embalming the, process. The, the, uh, he's getting a little the, the colorization part, like you know, he just he's very upset about manufacturers doing that. Cars in the parks. But no, it, uh, but one of the most important things we watch for, it's a matter of feel and a matter of watching for color change. Mm -hmm. That's how we can tell whether a particular portion of the body is getting the fluid uh, is, is actually embalming. So, uh, and we can add dye to it too. If we think it's insufficient, we want to give them some more color. But so, so that is the, the injection process. Once you have gotten distribution, oh, by the way, folks, if you're not getting sufficient distribution, that just means raising a more localized set of vessels and injecting that directly. For instance, you notice that the left leg is not mm -hmm. undergoing the changes. Then you'll raise the femoral artery. Uh, and uh, use that. How, how often do you find that happens? And is that one of the reasons when you talk about long shifts? Is that something that can contribute to it? Like maybe you might say, I can, I've gone to where I could do a body in an hour, but then certain things happen and it takes... Absolutely. That, that can happen a lot. A lot of times a body that you would think would be easy can get difficult on you. And as far as multi-point injections, which that, folks, is when you have to raise more than one site. Uh, one site raised is a single point injection multiple sides is multi-point and uh, yes that, that can make it take a lot longer and it's really pro it's less than half of the cases but I would say probably 30% of the time or 25% of the time if you're trying to be a thorough embalmer you you'll have to end up raising another vessel um, so that can contribute well I know our listeners are really dying 
<laughs> to, <laughs> to hear about uh, some of the cases that you've seen. Can you tell us about some of the some of the crime scenes that you've sure. been to? Some of the some of the stuff you've seen as far as sure. Uh, if I may, I, I would just like to, and I'll try to be more brief. Just wrap up a synopsis of the involvement. Oh, I'm process. sorry, I didn't realize. You no, 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 no. It's quite all right, but. Uh, we're most of the way done. Okay. Uh, no, I, I just, I literally had no clue. I'm no, sorry. no, no, it's, it's quite all right. <laughs> um, but after the injection is finished and you've made sure you've gotten all of the uh, circulatory system and all of the limbs and things, the next stage is to treat the cavities. And we're talking about the thoracic and abdominal cavities. Um, of course, that's where a lot of the worst stuff is. A lot of the worst mm -hmm. fluids and gases and things that will, that's where decomposition starts actually, okay. is in the, the region of the appendix. Not in the appendix itself, but one of the first things you see in decomposition is a green patch over, over the lower abdomen oh. on the right side of the body. That's where it begins. So we do that by a process called aspiration. We use what's basically a large a jumbo size hypodermic needle attached to a suction device and we pierce the body uh, so that we can get both cavities. We go in usually just a little bit northeast of the navel and our first goal is to hit the organs of the thorax, the heart, the lungs, and we're trying to remove as much blood as possible and any leftover blood, residual gases, so on and so forth. And uh, then of course we'll move on down, we'll work our way down to the abdomen. Uh, that's to remove it. That's the suction device. And then we will use the same trocar, the same hypodermic needle. We'll unhook it and we'll go to what is basically a super strong embalming fluid that is specialized for cavity treatment. It, it tends to be a lot stronger uh, and we will actually inject that or let gravity help us put that into the cavities. Once that's done, we'll use what's called a trocar button, which is just a plastic screw to screw, to screw shut the hole that we've made with the trocar. Uh, so, so, so that is the basic embalming. Once all of that is done, it's extremely important that you be as thorough as you possibly can about cleaning, about bathing the deceased. That's where a lot yeah. of people get lazy. Mm -hmm. uh, but a thorough cleaning and disinfection is extremely important. That includes hair. It includes making sure their nails look okay. They don't have unsightly nose hairs. These sorts of things. That's what really makes you your money, folks, and what's, that's what makes the difference. Now, um, when you say makes your money, you're talking about these are for people who they're gonna to go to a wake like we talked about here earlier. They're gonna have yes. an open casket. Is there any sort of difference, like if either someone is gonna have a closed casket or even for people who may not have a funeral at all? Like, is it something that y'all would still do the cleaning, still do all the other fluids, or do y'all change the procedure up a little bit? I always plan, even if I've been told in advance that it will be a closed casket, I have seen minds change on that point right then and there. And for that reason, I believe that the embalmer should religiously do his very best work, even if the body is not to be shown, because you just don't know. I mean, there's the honor part of it. There's the integrity of being paid to do something and doing it. But also, they might not have wanted to see the remains all this time until they're right there in the funeral home. Mm -hmm. And then they might decide, you know what, before the public gets here when it's just us, I, I, I'm feeling strong enough, I want to see the body. And while they might not necessarily hold an unfavorable appearance against, I mean, I, I suppose it would depend, while they might not necessarily hold that unfavorable appearance against the mortician on grounds that they weren't planning to view the body, uh, it still would just be an awful thing, uh, you know, for their sake and possibly for yours. So you just want them to look their very best. Okay, so, come on, you gotta give us some, some juicy... 
Did you see Chrono So Stone? switching over to the where you said you worked as a quarter, so we'd love yeah. to hear some stories of when you... Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, and... Uh, I mean, don't don't most... give details that, you know, could... You know, if it's an active case or something, you sure, know, sure. Be, we're, we're totally cool with a certain amount of anonymity, but... Sure. But for real, we want we want them good details. Well, <laughs> and, and again, and gosh, I hate to respond to questions with questions. I, I guess it would just depend on, on how you define worst, but uh, I, I have all of these unpleasant images flashing before my mind right now, and I'm trying to, you know, compartmentalize them and organize Tell them. Tell us about the first crime scene you had to go to. The Let's first crime scene. Uh, the first crime scene I went to was a, was just a single murder. It was a strange situation. We walked right in the front door, and there was a man, he looked like a collapsed folding chair when we walked in. He was up against a wall, and there was uh, some blood splatter behind him. And at first, I wasn't sure what had happened to him. Uh, his wound was not readily apparent from right there across the room. But uh, as it turned out, we went to move him and to get him into the body bag. And clearly somebody had shot him in the face. I just hadn't seen it because he was down like this. And the exit wound, he had long hair, but the exit wound, uh, there was a hole in the wall behind him. But it was rather nondescript, really. So we, so we just couldn't tell at first what had happened. Uh, and as we were moving him, the thing I really remember about that case was as we're moving him, I guess it was caught in his belt line or his clothing or something, but it wasn't uh, permanent in a holster or anything. We started to move him, and we hear this clack. And, and there are police officers everywhere, and uh, uh, we hear this clack, and none of them are paying attention. We look down there, and there was about the biggest damn revolver I think I've ever seen oh in my, my life. I, I didn't get close enough to see what it was, but it was clearly something beyond like a three fifty seven Magnum. I mean, this was like a dirty, hairy revolver. Oh, wow. And uh, what it looked like it happened was, I don't know if he was expecting issues with somebody or was suspicious when there was a knock at the door, but... Apparently, somebody had come over there and shot him, and he hadn't been quite quick enough on the trigger. It had been his gun uh, that I guess he dropped and happened to fall right on top of. But um, but that murder, was, was, that was the first crime that uh, I responded to. It's uh, and, and intense. I have, I'll tell you, that's small <laughs> potatoes, my friend. Oh, that, that's small potatoes. Please, please continue then. Give us, oh give us some of the big meaty ones, if those are small potatoes. Well, this wasn't a crime. Um, course we hear all the times about autoerotic asphyxia and things like that <gasps> yes. and well folks that is a reality that does happen and I've how, I've how many people have you found that died from jerking it well uh definitively one but probably <laughs> five or six oh my wow. god yeah, now now is this all in your time as a quarter or is this also maybe people coming into the mortuary and you finding out or is uh, there, there no the, way to know when it's the mortuary I guess there's really generally no way to know when you're at the mortuary but but when you're working at the coroner's office yeah just like you say I mean it's a different deal they aren't just brought into you you go to them uh, <laughs> where they died and uh, so oh so that is one of those things when you see it the first time and I I guess the fifth or sixth time it's just you know this, is it just is shocking this every time it yes it is and it's and it can really be, it's a strange feeling because that can, that shock and that, oh my God, he, 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 you know, that can really be mitigated by the, <laughs> by the exacerbated pain of survivors because I, the one, the one most definitive case, my, uh, my partner and I walked down these stairs with our body bag and everything to go and see what we were going to find. Uh, we just left the stretcher upstairs at this point 
And it was this, there was a man inside. He was probably in his early 50s. And he had a small crinkled up dress sock pulled over his penis. And oh, he God. was he was he was wearing pantyhose. Oh my God! And um, he had something too over his face. It looked like he could breathe through it, but it was not a mask. It was an article of clothing fashioned into a mask of some sort. Oh, and it looked the appearance was that he had been on the computer, maybe conversing with somebody <gasps> or watching something when this had occurred. Uh, this is amazing. But but you know we, we're just not certain about that. But in any case, the man had. Uh, apparently hanged himself in in the process of trying to to get off for lack of a better way to put it and his wife was there at the scene and we uh i just felt terrible for her because she was speaking with police officers and i remember locking eyes with her and she knew that i knew because i had seen and it was it was just horrific i'm not sure if she was aware of his peripheral interests or maybe she was even involved in such things at times but it was just a horrifically one of those things you feel like i have no place or right to know this about these folks and i just feel awful about it and 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 worse still was i they must have been grandchildren because of the age of these folks or maybe they just started late but as I didn't notice going in, but as we were removing the body, uh, we carried him upstairs because we couldn't make the turn with our stretcher. There was a uh, small child paraphernalia. There were little tricycles, and there was a changing table, and, and all this little... Oh and there was God. one of those bouncy things. Yeah. And so it was just, oh my God, you know, there were... Tragedy all around. Yeah, yeah, this is just awful. It would have been awful if he dropped dead of a heart attack, but these circumstances, that's that's just too much. Well, it's like a dark comedy or something. Well, like, we, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like some really messed up yeah. movie. yeah. We said there wasn't going to be an after-school special, but but every all of our listeners, it's just not worth it. Yeah, it's, it's just you know you there are other ways to get your to get your jollies, you know, to get your rocks <laughs> off, well whatever said. we want to say. If you are folks going to engage in any sort of risky behavior like that, the the common consensus seems to be not to do so alone. Yeah. And the <laughs> or, or, or have someone over the computer. That doesn't count as being, that you know, doesn't with count. Yes, they can't so. reach through the computer and save your life. So Basically what we're saying is, like, you know, sex stuff. You do you as long as you're not hurting anybody else or yourself. But, like, you know. Take precautions, Maybe people. don't have to have a belt around your neck. Or <laughs> maybe. Or remember, you know, you things... All of our actions have consequences. We have people that care about us who love us. So, you know, always try to be responsible. But uh, I feel like this is going to start, because um, we do have other questions, but I feel Choke like they Choke your chicken, will... not your neck. That's, <laughs> there you go. Couldn't, couldn't have said it better. Sounded but I think, I think if Morty ever comes back, I feel like there needs to be a whole episode dedicated to Morty's, like, life tips. What he has seen and how to, like, you know, avoid an early visit from him. So, um... Well, if I ever have a life, maybe I can put them to practice and let you know if they're worth sharing. But. Yeah, guys, um, BG Dubs, we are desperately campaigning for Morty to move to Birmingham. So, um, if, if you would like more stories from Morty... Um, hashtag Morty move. Hashtag Morty move. I will keep him posted and then we can have his delightful fucked up stories anytime we want. It sure is nice to be desired, but I remind <laughs> you when I'm down the street, it's a lot harder to turn the fucked up stories off. <laughs> just, just as long as, you know, just as long as I can be like, that's cool, buddy. Let's go see a movie. <laughs> PG rated. <laughs> There's a new Disney movie. Maybe we should just wash your brain a little bit with some Disney songs. But, uh, and that's 
legit. Like, do you just ever feel like you're like, you know what? I need a fucking palate cleanser. (laughs) Occasionally, yes. Uh, Sometimes it it really is a shame sometimes that that you can't undo some things that you see or experience, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, but... uh, that's just the reality. Eternal, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. It just like just I just need the last twenty four hours gone. <laughs> Pretty much, and, and just like we mentioned earlier, you know, we we I I handle that at least the same way anybody does. You watch movies with lots of kittens and laughing children <laughs> and love stories that went right and things like that. Happy Do things. the Care Bear countdown? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I feel pretty. <laughs> oh, so pretty. <laughs> Uh, um, so you, so you, you were uh, corner for a few years or, or a certain amount of time, I guess. I, uh, I worked with I uh, I operated as a deputy coroner. Okay, so did you get a badge for your deputy coroner? I did. <gasps> That's so cool. Does it have like a skull for like dead things? No, I'm afraid Damn. not. Yeah. So you, you've seen auto. You talked about auto asphyxiation. We talked <laughs> about uh, like rough murders. I guess were there other crimes and and, and maybe this is something I'm interested in because. Uh, one of our favorite shows, shout out from my wife and I, is I Zombie, which is about uh, a, uh, and... you know, corner. Of course, I watched Bones, you know, when it was on. Sure. Um, so, how much of that? I mean, that obviously it's Hollywood, but how much of that is really what you do, or is it much? You know, how would you describe your uh, experience as a corner, a deputy corner? Um, I'll tell you, when, when I went, and I'm not serving in that capacity any longer. Uh, I haven't been for about a year now, um, but. I constantly found myself, it's just strange to be one of those people. I guess we, we see things, or at least I saw things, and you always think that, they're, that the buck won't stop somewhere else, I guess I mean to say. You tend to think, oh, you know, crime investigation and, and badged people, this, that, and the other. But, but really, I mean, you're about it. Yes, you have crime labs and things, but it's just strange to be that person. You know, that, that is the role you fill and. I know that doesn't give you folks a lot to go off of, and I'm sorry, but uh, it can be a very surreal feeling. So, like, detectives coming to you, and, and to assume your boss, if you're the deputy corner, like, asking, like, how did this person die? And, and your job was to say they died of of this, they died of whatever. And it's not as simple, maybe, as gunshot to the head. I'm assuming sure, you sure. have to say it more detailed than that, you know. Yes, uh, it, it, they place a lot of faith in, in what deputy coroners say, and uh, and so there's a lot of pressure on, but it is strange that they would come to you and ask you these things. It certainly is uncomfortable when you have to tell them mm-hmm. you don't know. But probably the most bizarre part of working working that job was when a senior deputy or the coroner himself would tell me, oh, there's too many people here, this, that, and the other, tell those police officers to get out of here. <laughs> I'm thinking, please no, not me, yeah, somebody else. Uh, but but that can be a part of it. Uh, and generally, the working relationship is very strong and very affable. But uh, there are certain moments uh, for power struggle. And the bottom line is, at a cre- at a crime scene, the coroner's office is almost always going to win that, oh, wow. and that that leaves some uniformed but sore, so to speak. So, so tell us about a few more. Good cases. Yeah. I was I was going to ask: Was there ever a crime, or you know, you're going there and you're seeing the the victim, and you think they died of something because based on the way the scene was, but then you really dig, you know, open them up and find something different. Were there any like twist in your time as a coroner? Uh, you know, there were, I suppose, a couple. Uh, 
There were certainly times that we thought maybe somebody had been intoxicated, you know, or under the influence of a drug, and come to find out they weren't. So how come they doused their apartment in kerosene and set it aflame, you know, and tried to disembowel themselves, or, or something along those lines? Please tell me those are real examples. Uh, okay, well, not the two of them together, but I have seen both of those. <laughs> yes. Wow. So uh, I have not seen somebody do both, but give it a little time. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> give it a little bit of time. So what were the circumstances of somebody who tried to disembowel themselves? I believe that person, must, and they did not succeed, by the way. They certainly had a nasty gash, but they opened the mesenteric system, the mesenteric, however mm-hmm. you want to pronounce it, uh, in the in the abdomen, and they bled to death oh, right God. there. But he was an elderly gentleman. Oh, God. And uh, I just, I honestly, I wish I had more to tell you. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh I can't imagine that he intended to commit suicide just because what a horrific way, and it's just not consistent with our own cultural expectations as far as suicide goes. You know, if, if he had been a Japanese individual or something like that from 50 or 60 years ago, I might that might have made more sense. But in 2018, an old man trying to disembowel himself as a means of suicide just doesn't make sense. Uh, so, so I just don't know what to tell you, honestly. Oh, wow. Well, so, what, are, what are some other good crime scenes that you've come across? Crime scenes. Uh, well, of course, there are the multiple murders. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are always... I remember one where an estranged husband had showed up and killed his wife. Oh, and God. The same, the thing, and he killed himself. The thing that seems so strange about it to me is there was no confrontation. He apparently had what it looked like had simply shot her from all the way over on the porch, which would have been about 40 yards. It was, it was a large yard and Mm -hmm. it looked like he was sitting on the porch just waiting. And as soon as she got out of the car, he drew a bead and fired at her without any confrontation, without any, Hey, you ruined my life or anything. It which just seemed very strange. And then he took the same rifle, which was a hunting, a centerfire hunting rifle. uh, And he pressed it to the side of his head which he must have had some long arms, and he pulled the trigger. And she was hit uh, in the body and just had, I guess because of the range, you know, uh, the bullet had a little bit of time to slow down a little bit, and all the expanding gases weren't right there behind it at that point. But she had just a very fine, uh, clearly defined hole, round hole, all the way through her chest. Oh, but God. he had pressed it against the side of his head, and of course, all of the gases were there. And they're just from—I mean, I looking at the top of his head, I could see his lower teeth. He just completely took the Jeez. top of his head off. It was Jesus. just all flaps, and uh, so so that one was. Uh, this is a dark one, guys. Just so you did know. you. <laughs> here's here's something. Since I know some previous episodes have dealt with some serial killers. Had you, in your capacity as deputy coroner, did you handle victims of someone that you found out was a, a victim of a serial killer or someone who had been on the loose and had been a killing spree? Of a traditional, I sure haven't myself. Um, I am aware that uh, in the town where I grew up, while I was growing up there, unbeknownst to the whole public, there was a serial killer operating. Yep. Uh, I've learned, and I, I take it you have too, but yeah. uh, I've learned about this from a person who was coroner there, which is not where I was a deputy coroner, but uh, of course we go back and visit, and it's a small business, and uh, so anyhow, that's that's that was a little disconcerting, I have to admit to me at the time, that it really is that present and real, but no, I have not personally Actually, dealt with it. Um, okay. so... Tangent alert, yeah, tangent yeah, alert. Morty and I uh, grew up together, like, grew up together in the sense that 
his oldest brother is the same age as my oldest sister and they all like group of friends all went to prom together and his middle brother is the same exact age as my middle sister and then he and I are literally what four days apart <laughs> in age um so you know we way back uh <laughs> My parents, uh, so yeah, we were very aware of the serial killer um, in our hometown. And my parents, growing up, would always tell us to lock the doors. Rafael Ramirez is going to come get you like he did your friend. Because uh, a girl that I went to elementary school with, after I had switched out of your elementary school, um, has never been, she's not attributed to his kill count, but it is speculated she was one of his victims because oh, their no. their house was right there by the train tracks, oh, and she no. was killed yeah. uh, at the same time that the other Lexington victims were. Yeah, and so they just assumed she just happened to be in the wrong place. I actually forgot about the railway guys. So apparently there were two serial killers operating. Yeah. Oh, but uh, it is double serial killers, <laughs> right? But it is a real phenomenon, folks. It's no, I haven't dealt with it personally, but they're out there. And 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 in truth, the way these things pan out. It may very well be that I have handled such cases. I'm just not yet aware of it. Don't, don't, don't. Oh, wow. Um, and so, so, so there's always that possibility. Wow. <laughs> we can we can say for sure that that was pretty fucked up of your mom to, to yeah. say Yes, that, it so. was. That was super fucked up. It's also mostly up. my dad, too. <laughs> or your parents. <laughs> guess your parents. what? That guess what? Up. I still lock the doors. I've got a kickstand. There you go. <laughs> there you the go. I guess sometimes when you're a parent, your child's safety is more important than their comfort or emotional health. <laughs> I, and don't get me wrong, I, I am glad that uh, you know my wife likes to be safe. It, it is interesting the different dynamics where where my mother likes to sometimes leave the door open. We've got a screen door. We live in a nice subdivision. Know our neighbors, so when it's a bright sunny day, the door is open. And uh, meanwhile, I'm like, no, lock the doors, cover the windows. <laughs> Everybody hide. I'm like a mouse. Just, I just want to be in my cave. I just want to be in my little mouse hole. There you go. I want to be safe. Well, <laughs> now you're prepared if they show up on you. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, my dear crazy friend brought us multiple <laughs> weapons. Um, we can. He, we can. He we also can. travels with multiple weapons, so. There are more guns in my house <laughs> right. than I think will ever be in my house again until you come visit again. That could um. be. That could be. But eventually I'll actually stash enough here that like what I bring with me in my car will just be an afterthought. You know? <laughs> oh, good. Like, I'm sure there gonna, is a lot of storage space in our house. So, I, you you know, know. I'm sure I'm going to get an angry phone call one of these days. Like, you, know, <laughs> you put a gun safe in my house. <laughs> Yeah. Where the fuck did this come from in well, our girl space? I think is you know you got to keep it safe for any future kids, and then uh, you know make sure that gun has no criminal history. The last thing we want is for one of us to be walked away in handcuffs. Well, but you know the gun of this crime can pick this up on a crime scene. Oh, how <laughs> awful would it be to actually justifiably defend yourself, only to have the gun run and come back as some sort of questionable thing and. <laughs> Oh, that would be awful. That would be. Yeah. <laughs> Not a risk with yours. I know what stores they came from. I appreciate it. One of them is actually still in its box. So. There you go. There you go. But, so uh, there's getting away a little bit from the crime questions. There were some other listener questions. And one was a, a really good one. I think we even went over a little bit before the podcast started is, do you look at the living and wonder what their corpses would be like? Yes. Yes, I do. But you did that before you were a mortician. <laughs> well, my motivations were different. But no, my uh, that is something that you do. Uh, 
And it's one of the one of the finer points of embalming. Everybody likes to play with the scalpels and the sutures, so on and so forth, the chemicals. But one of the most important parts is the featuring itself. You know, people tend to think of that as boring, and so they don't go a lot into it. But it's really, if you get into it and you try to do a good job, it is one of the most painstaking processes. And so when you're out and among the living, it is kind of hard not to look at people and think, you know, what would I do? If, if they were on my table, you know, and especially unusual looking people, because we rarely have a would photo. Would you fix Forrest Whitaker's eye? <laughs> <laughs> Matter of fact, I would not. Matter of fact, I would not. And, and that's that's a that's an interesting question, uh, because sometimes people have those little features that are a little unusual. And our job is to present them more or less the way. I mean, we might try to fill out the cheeks some, try to give them some color, so on and so forth. But if a person has, say, a crooked nose or an unusually small lip, you know, or maybe one of their ears is much larger than the others, our job is not to correct nature's work. Uh, we, we want them to look as good as they naturally do. Uh, and so uh, the tough part about that is sometimes if I see a particularly unusual looking person out at a restaurant or something, I find myself sitting there wondering how bad I, I would have fucked up their features. Because, <laughs> because we rarely... Did you ugly? We, we, we rarely have a photograph to go off of. Very rarely have a photograph. And so what you end up doing is you, you look at this person at this face and you say, what do I need to do to make them look the way people normally, quote-unquote, look? And if it's a person, maybe they had really dimpled in cheeks and you stuffed them full of cotton. Now everybody who actually knew them thinks they look like a chipmunk, even <laughs> though you think they look normal. You know, things, things like that. So, uh, yes, you look at the features, absolutely, on the living. And I think a lot of time people catch me where they think I'm checking them out. But if they knew the truth, they would be a lot more disturbed. <laughs> a lot more disturbed. You know, so I, much worse. So I routinely lie. Yes, I'm, I'm checking you out. Yeah, you're just, you're so hot. Right. <laughs> but here's that is we're moving on to you know Morty the Mortician's pro tip number two. Perhaps carry a flattering photo of yourself in your wallet. So should you meet your demise, the mortician knows not a bad this is, policy. You know how to make you look. So I feel like there's a I feel like there's a book there. You know we can we can you know you can make a little money off off a book here. I will Absolutely. say if you were if you were the mortician for Bert, just fix his hair. It's always, Bert's oh. hair tends to just oh. stick straight up and have, like, multiple cowlicks. Just, you know, put a little product in there. <laughs> he said he can't fix, he cannot fix nature's mistakes. <laughs> my hair's wild. I, people need to know that my hair is wild. Hey, there you go. Well, you know what, specify, because I guess that's one of those gray areas. The truth is, we, I mean, by that point, the smell of hairspray wouldn't bother you, Burton. And so we, we, we could do something about that hair. <laughs> no, was, but, that's a good transition, because one of the questions you had, we talked about this, too. We all kind of went around and talked about what mm -hmm. we would do is now that you've been doing this for a while, do you have any preferences on what you would have done to you when you died? I think that I leaned this way all along, honestly, uh, but I'm a big fan of the emerging green burial movement. Mm -hmm. um, whether it is for environmental reasons or just reasons of personal preference, for myself, I would prefer to be buried without embalming, uh, or even if not buried, to be left out uh, to the elements somewhere in an appropriate place. Uh, Maybe you'll get your wish and you'll just die in the woods. I'd say that is a higher than average uh, chance with me because I like to go out there and I don't see it changing. And, and he goes a lot by himself. So I'll call him or I'll text him. I'll be like, Meh, he'll get back to me. 
And when he finally calls me a week or two later, he's like, yeah, sorry, I've been in the woods. Yeah. It's like, all right. That's where I go. And so so likely I'll get my wish by default. Uh, but, uh, He'll be at Coyote's dinner. Pretty much. I, I would be, I would feel more flattered to, you know, go the way of a black bear or a bobcat or something. <laughs> something a little more special, but, you know, whatever. Um, but I, that is what I would prefer for myself would be to simply uh, uh, allow to decompose away. Well, I think one thing when we were talking about this and, uh, you know, we kind of got a chance to, we've been hanging out with Morty all weekend, so we've had a chance to talk about some of this. And uh, I definitely did say, and it's related to your hairspray comment, yeah, I'm not going to care. I'm really not going to worry about what uh, anybody happens to, or what happens to me once I die, because obviously I'm not going to be there to worry about it. But I agree with you. I wouldn't mind being buried, you know, turned into a tree in some way or, or buried somewhere sure, naturally. Sure. If nothing else, also just to, you know, help my wife. She can always come and... You know, enjoy this tree. I already told you what I'm going to do to you if you die first. If Burton dies first, I am going to have him cremated and then pressed into a gem because that's what I plan to do to my favorite Pomeranian as well. And I'm just going to wear them both around my neck every day of my life. And I don't care if it's fucking creepy. They're going to be <laughs> my gemstones and I'm going to have them with them forever. And if I die first, I don't give a fuck. I'm just know I'm going to haunt him. And so it's just going to be like, Burton! So basically we're going to do Instead of us creating our own like wills or last testimony, it will basically just be the partner gets to decide. Yep. So if, if Norma dies first, we will be trees. If I die first, we will be gypsies. I don't want to be a tree. Well, you nature, know. nature was never my friend. No jokes. It's ironic. We <laughs> turned into a tree. Well, all haunting prospects aside, what do you want done with your physical remains? It's so creepy when you ask me that. It's like you're planning. But, uh, well, I, I've always said that if I'm ever, like, super terminal, I just want to go to South Africa, chum the fuck out of the waters, and just go to the sharks. Just, like... And, and everyone at home, like, That's so she has raised her arms almost like uh, she is queen of the world on yeah. Titanic and was just, you know, about to fall toward the table. Rose after she fell. To the sharks. <laughs> Come to me, Bruce, the shark. It's fine. <laughs> Well, that is, I've heard a lot of, I really have. I mean, people tell me their ideas. They're that's, dangerous. That is original. Yeah. That's, I like, like it. Like, you would expect anything different from Nothing me. Nothing different. But, uh, but, you know, if I just happen to, like, kick it, I, I don't know. I guess it would depend on how much of my family is still around. You know, it, for them, I would probably want a traditional funeral. I don't want to be cremated. Cremation freaks me out. I, I just have this, like, paranoia that, I don't know, like, you I don't know. I'm just paranoid. I do yeah. cremate people too. I don't know if I've ever told you that, but our mortuary I cremates. I assumed you yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, we we do that. Nothing creepy about it. Well, except maybe. the flames of hell or yeah. what. <laughs> well, see, that's it's interesting. Melt your body. And uh, fat people burn longer because and like a candle. They have yeah. to be the first one. Yeah, it's. I've also heard that like. Wait, wait, hold on, pause. They have to be the first one. I want to hear more about that. Yeah, yeah. The advice is generally for uh, obese individuals to be the first one to the day. See, the thing, when, when people are, are are obese enough, once enough of their body composition is fat, you run the risk of having what is basically a giant grease fire in the retort. Oh, the, the, the retort is the chamber in which the cremation actually occurs. And uh, so, yes, the temperature concern, the flame control, that, that's all a lot more complicated with larger people. Uh, Good so I, I mean, you know, there are these shows out there with like, you know, I was 600 pounds or I was 700 pounds and you have these kind of, I mean, it is few and far between. 
do you encounter people who are too big to go into the cremate, or is it a pretty big door? I have actually, and I have personally been on removals where we've gotten people up to 600 pounds. Wow. Um, wow. And, and they've been slated for cremation. Now, I'm told about some larger individuals who were cremated there. Now, I look at the dimensions of this door to the retort and wonder if my coworkers are not bullshitting me because <laughs> I just can't imagine how they, how they pulled it off. But I'm told, yes, that... Uh, those retorts can handle people about as big as they get. And so so at this point, until I see differently, I'm, I'm compelled to take their word for it, I suppose. So the, the, the theology major, in, or degree in me, I should say, and I let everybody know I got a theology degree in my college. He went to a Jesus school. And so uh, my, my wife's hesitancy is probably because she was raised that strict Southern Baptist where they thought, you know, Jesus is going to come back and, uh, and bring you bring you into heaven body, and if you're cremated, that can't happen. But They uh, don't want to see what's left, and I've yeah. seen... That's a whole other topic, maybe for another podcast. Oh, absolutely. But, but I, uh, I don't mind the cremation as much personally because I think that if there is a an afterlife, then you know if there is a God, He can absolutely or she can absolutely you know bring you right back. Fire is not going to stop that. Cool. But, and you uh, will not mind being a gemstone around my neck. Oh, I won't, because uh, <laughs> as we talked about, I'll be dead. Whatever happens, I'm fine with. But you'll you'll still probably be a tree. So this will be. You know, well, if your Creator moment. created you, certainly He can recreate you. I mean, exactly. I don't see, but. So. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of a fun one. Um, you got any more questions, Bert? Um, I'm looking through the questions that you sent me. I think those were the main ones I was sent to kind of mm-hmm. ask. I um, do, and if that needs to come at the end, let me know. But no. I do have, just out of curiosity, a couple of questions for you all that I tend to ask anybody when we discuss these. Please, shirts. go ahead. Okay. Uh, what is your, our dear host, what is your first funeral memory oh god uh i had been to ones before this but i really remember going to my grandfather's funeral um when i guess we were like 12 or something like that and um my grandfather had passed and i remember it was it was right after christmas like just a couple of days after christmas and we were at the funeral home and it had started snowing and I remember some of our kin from South Carolina had come in and uh, they were really, con- the, the, like the young ones were really confused by snow and I really just kind of wanted to punch them in the throat because I thought they were being really disrespectful. Um, and I just remember it being so weird and just uncomfortable the whole time. I see. And I also remember that I was wearing these horrible like black tights that my mom had made me wear and they just itched like a motherfucker. Oh, no. But like, <laughs> but I mean, that's really the stuff I remember I, and I don't know if it's And it just, was at a funeral home? Yeah, or? it was, uh, it was at the, that funeral home downtown where there's like a McDonald's that doesn't have a drive through near it. Oh, I know Do you know what I'm one. talking about? I know the one, yeah. Yeah, um, I couldn't begin to tell you the name anymore because I don't remember. Gotcha, but, gotcha, yeah. Um, that, yeah, that's the main thing I remember and then I remember going to the gravesite, and it was cold. It was snowing, and it was just really weird and messed up. And we took uh, somebody gave us red roses to take home, and I had one in one of my the drawers of one of my of my desk uh, for years after I see, that. I see. So, so you remember an uncomfortable environment and and uh, family strife and so on. So yeah, forth. just I, I couldn't begin to tell you anything about the actual. Gotcha. Service. And I might sure, even sure just I be mean. thinking about the visitation at the 
funeral right. home. Well, it can be, you know, and that's one thing. They, it's very hard for children to differentiate between like the different tw- ceremonies. It was literally 21 years ago. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, well, that's one thing I'm always curious to hear about. How about you, Burton? You know, honestly, my, my grandmother passed away when I was seven, and I went to a visitation, but I didn't actually go to the funeral. I see. And so I, there were a few, I want to say I have vague memories of like re, like distant relatives who passed or, or people that I had to go, but I was pretty blessed in the sense that it wasn't really until high school that like, you know, one of my friend's moms passed away. So we went to that funeral, of course, the funeral home. And mm-hmm. my grandma, one of my other grandmother didn't pass away until I was out of college. And, um, you know, so I'm, I haven't actually had a lot of experience with funeral homes um, or even going to like, I guess, burials or anything like that. But uh, the high school one is the one I have a clear memory of as one of my earlier ones, because like I said, I don't have much from before that. And, you know, it's just awkward. I think awkward is the best word I can describe it because this was someone that I sort of knew. I was certainly close to the friend and wanted to be there for him. He was one of my best friends in high school, but very just awkward and um, a little emotional. Um, certainly seeing them, I kind of tend to cry when I see other people crying, and there were a lot of people crying, so that was, you know, but um, it's definitely. Uh, not a comfortable place for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I just yeah. remember being deeply uncomfortable. Sure, sure. Well, their funeral service is changing, and you know, there some of these old vestiges, some of these uh, more traditional things that that really and truly, I think, for our modern times and our modern sensibilities and cultures, can breed a lot of awkwardness and uncomfortableness. I think we're going to start to see those give way to less stuffy and more uh, celebrant. You know, mm-hmm. sort of, sort of uh, rituals and things like that. So, but but I'm always curious to hear people's. I, I feel like a, a lot our perceptions of a lot of things are formed by mm-hmm. our first slash early experience with those things, and so I'm always curious to hear about people's uh, how they develop their perception of funeral service. Yeah. I will say probably probably one of the most upsetting funeral services I've ever been to. Um, a good friend of mine passed away last year. She was in a horrific car accident and uh passed and we went to her funeral service and you know the the pastor or whatever you want to call him that that did the the, pastor it was the pastor um i don't remember word anyway he didn't really know her from what it sounded like um that's common you know and and so he just kept talking about her smile and things like that, and it just was Very so things. yeah, it was so shallow, and it was just so disappointing to hear that. And you know, some other people got up and spoke, and and you know, I understand people process grief differently, and, and a lot of the people just didn't have a lot of people had a lot to say about how she had affected their lives, not really a whole lot to say about her i see and so it was just really frustrating i I was i fortunately um got an opportunity to you know say a few words and i I tried to really focus on her i you know i told a couple silly stories just because i can't not try to keep things light (laughs) but um there's no sense making a death happen twice yeah and but I, i tried to make sure to really talk about who she was and and it it seems like that's something that happens pretty often. It, you know that people don't really talk about the person; they talk about who that person was to how that person affected them. Sure. And it just, I, I would, I would not want that at my funeral. You know, I wouldn't want. 
someone I, to make it about themselves. I will probably mention my full bellies after her cooking. No. <laughs> so that will be how she's that's, that's not what I mean. I know. I'm just being silly. I just, I, I just think it just, it, it just can come across a little self-centered if somebody goes too far in that direction. I, I Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, Absolutely. I, so, yeah. Now, I will say, you talk about moving towards celebrations. I will say, when my grandmother passed after college, you know, went up to the, the visitation, the funeral, the funeral very somber, the burial very somber, you know, tears. But we get back to the house, and we're, you know, people are kind of heating up food. And, of course, if anyone who's ever been in the south of the United States, and I'm not sure where it is, other places. A southern funeral is just food, funeral, food, food. Well, food, after, food. Or after the funeral, I should say, people just love to bring casseroles and food. You don't, you don't have chicken. to cook. For days. Ham salad. Yeah. There is a lot more celebratory in that. I mean, we were sharing stories. We were laughing. So in in a sense, there is a balance in that when you're not at the funeral home, you do have a little bit more levity. But I think, I know, at least in this culture, again, Southern United States, Judeo-Christian, you know, background, you kind of, there almost seems to be a need to have a somber time. Um, so I guess I want to turn around a little bit of the question you asked because I think this is, is fascinating. Um, one, do you want to still be in this business for a while? Is this something you want to have a career in? And two, do you want to one day run your own funeral home and try some different things? And if so, what things would you try? I do believe at this point, uh, with the time invested and, and with the trajectory I'm on, I imagine this is going to be, yes, my, the, the career of my life. Um, as far as trying to own and operate a funeral home or, or, or any correlating sort of business, um, you know, like a memorial hall or, or anything like that, uh, I, I'm just cut on the fence with it because on the one hand, I'm very opinionated and arrogant and like things the way <laughs> I like them. No. I know, right? Yeah, please, you know, take a deep breath, but calm down some. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, I... On the other hand, it is a tremendous investment of time, and while I do like what I do, and while I do get some fulfillment out of it, I am trying desperately to move towards, uh, move in the direction of spending not all of my time in it. I just feel like there is, I feel like trying to chase the almighty dollar and profits, and uh, I feel like that's a good way to squander one's life, and and I have that on good authority because I've spoken on that subject with a lot of people who are right there on the cliff, you know, mm-hmm. looking at the end and they're to rearrange their funeral, and uh, so so that really keeps me from it. I'm worried about it really taking all of my time and my efforts, uh, and and so I, I'm just not sure that I ever will. Now, maybe I don't mean to to completely speak for Morty, but we have Morty's life lesson number three. Um, if I'm not mistaken from conversations we had earlier, I don't know if you get a chance to have witnessed, you, you did say, I think that you had seen some of the funerals or, or at least some of the services at the visit at the funeral home. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, from our impression was no one stood up and said, so-and-so really regretted not giving more to his company or really chasing that almighty dollar. Absolutely. You know, and surveys are done through such organizations as hospice and I'm sure others, uh, I know that I've read the results of surveys that are sent around to the terminally ill, those expecting to die rather soon, and they ask them about their regrets and their achievements and this, that, and the other. And of the top five regrets, every single year, every single one of these surveys that comes out, it is always, one of those slots is universally, without exception, taken by something to the effect of, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Or I wish I had spent more time doing X, Y, or Z. You know, always something besides work. 
course. Uh, and so work is necessary, folks. We need food. We need a place to sleep, so on and so forth. But a lot of us, perhaps even most of us, we overdo it. And by the time we realize we've overdone it, it's too late uh, because the time is gone and we don't get any more of that. And so if I had to have you all take anything away from this, it would be make sure you get in yours, you know, get in your fun, spend time with people you care about. YOLO. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it, there's nothing more important than that. So Now, you did say you had a, uh, was it one or two questions for us. Do you have another question for us that you'd like to ask people? I don't want to make sure. Yeah, sure, sure. That. There are just a number of them. Um, a number of them. Let me think. Which one do I want to ask you next? <laughs> I really, I probably... Go ahead. Oh no, I was just I do have one other crime question that has come to mind, but I forgot to first. So my other have you participated in the solving of a crime? Like were you whether you read the newspaper or you know, found out like we really got this guy and I know you said you haven't known about serial killers, but something that you just felt like a sense of accomplishment, like so and so did this heinous thing and because I did my thoroughness, we caught so and so. Do you have any stories like that? You know, um, Nothing really dramatic. There was one time that there was a person milling around outside of a crime scene. And we, my partner and I, both noticed this woman. She was behaving very strangely. And she she must not have realized who we were when we pulled up. Because we pulled up after the fact. But she asked a number of strange questions. And asked us if there would be any chance for her to gain access to the scene. Uh, ostensibly to Dude, that's a big red flag. Well, ostensibly to gather <laughs> X, Y, and Z possessions of hers that were, you know, supposedly inside. And we honestly didn't think much of it. She seemed under the influence, which in this neighborhood and at that time of day is just not that rare. But she because kept for reference, he works in a rather large city. Yes. Um a, a rather large southeastern city that has is pretty well known for we have uh, our areas. Yes, we certainly have our areas. And uh, so anyhow, we didn't think anything of it really necessarily at first, but that she was out there milling around for all this time that we're in there getting this person and seemed to become increasingly agitated. And so when we looked out the window to make sure we'd have a clear, and that's one of the things of this job, uh, sometimes crowds gather and you've got to get your van as close as you can and make sure you have as straight a shot as possible to your van if necessary, have the police, you know, keep them off of you, so to speak. So we're basically scoping it out to make sure we're good to leave. And this person is out there still. And I mean, just about losing her shit at this point. And so we told the officers, you know, we told them the interaction we had with her, this, that, and the other. And she ended up being a person of interest. And I, I believe, you know, they went out there and talked to her basically on our queue, you know, when we told them about this. And she ended up being involved. In his death, uh, she 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 did not murder him herself, but that is about the only situation that anything I've done, mm-hmm. you know, has has directly affected anything like that. Okay. Uh, All right. You know. Well, we've got time for one more question. So if you've got one question for us, or or anything like that, because um, we're at about an hour and fifteen minutes at this point. I've actually asked you the most important one for me to ask, and so I w- I think the time would be better spent if you all have any other questions for me. Um, well, I, I would still, I would love to hear about one more really good crime case that you dealt with, whether it was just really interesting or just left such a huge impression on you. Cause I know that that's something that our listeners would be really interested in. Probably the one, you know, 
if there's one thing, if there's like a very dark black room somewhere in my heart, and my mind, and my soul, uh, a place that I try to avoid, I I, I think so that. Sorry. No, it's quite all right. I, I did this. This is informed consent. Uh, <laughs> it would be a situation where five people were, were murdered in oh, one God. house, and three of them were, were small children. Uh, and we don't, I don't know exactly, perhaps they determined it. I don't know what order they were killed in, but one of the children was drowned in the Jesus. bathtub uh, with his hands tied behind his back. And I don't know if he was the last or if that was trying to torture parents or siblings or trying to make them talk, but he obviously knew what was happening. And then one of the children had been shot through the back, apparently running down the hallway, trying to get away. And and they showed no restraint They uh, because it was a very, he was probably four or five years old. And Jeez. there were just... It looked like, I don't know how many rounds they fired at him, but he was hit and killed with a couple of them, but the whole wall uh, was oh just, I mean, it, it looked like a couple of dozen rounds, and it's hard for me to imagine that that many could be fired that quickly, you know, even if they had a, a fucking Uzi or something, but there was just no restraint, there was no mercy, there was no empathy, uh, and it, that is the single grisliest thing I think that I've uh, not just in the context of the job but that I've seen in my life mm-hmm. uh, you know and, and hope I don't see any worse than that but in terms of the absolute worst crime scene I think I've ever seen that was probably it well we have a tradition here at um, How I Met My Murder as if it's a real dark real fucked up episode uh, everybody has to tell a shitty dad joke or other such palate cleanser Okay. So, so do you have a shitty dad joke or just like a corny little joke that you can tell? I don't know about dad joke, but I do have a corny good little joke. And this one was told to me actually by my nephew. Okay. Let me see what you got. What do you call a fish with no eyes? I don't know. What do you, what do you call a what? fish with no eyes? It's called a Because <laughs> there's no <laughs> eye. That's cute. That's cute. Uh, I want there to be a TV show... About a little person who is a psychic and is running away from the police so that we can call it small medium at large. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. Not bad, not bad. So do y'all want to hear a joke about a piece of paper? Sure. Let's see. No, never mind. It's terrible. Oh Boo, that was bad. Well, that was not a good one. You were probably laughing about how bad it is. It met the standards, at least. You did, in fact, meet the standard. I tried. Um, I like riddle jokes, though. I love them. Um, Okay, I've got one more. If you're an American, you're an American when you go into the bathroom, and you're American when you go out of the bathroom, do you know what you are while you're in there? European. European! (laughs) (laughs) That's clever. (laughs) All right, well, thank you so much for making the journey and and answering our questions and um we'd love to have you back on another time i would love to thank you so much for having me and perhaps this is these are things that we aren't always able to talk about and the fact that i'm not looking all of you in the eye right now i'm sure has helped me to be able to talk about some of these things and uh who knows it might prove to be a certain sort of therapy so thank you all for having me and thank all of you for listening and um you know, if you guys have more questions, um, I, I talk to our dear mortician friend pretty frequently. So um, you can always ask me more questions. 
Um, Remember to hashtag to, Morty Moves. Yeah, hashtag Morty Moves so that I can make sure he knows that everyone is clamoring for him to move deeper into the South. But also, hashtag Ask Morty if you have more questions. Um, or if you guys have any other, you want some follow-up for any of these. Um, and find us on the interwebs. Um, you can talk to me on the Twitter, which is at how underscore murder um and we do our weekly gift party and this week y'all's gift game was strong so what what thank you very much i'm dancing um, in my seat yes. <laughs> the, uh, the he really is it's the burton bop it's where his like arms and legs all move independent it of each other it has a name and everything it does it really it does it it comes out often um i do love to dance you can <laughs> you can talk to amanda on our instagram she will be back next week um this is just a special circumstance um, and I hope you have a wonderful romantic weekend with your husband um, but you can talk to her at um, the Instagram which is how I met my murder you can talk to both of us if you want to give us an email which is how I met my murder at gmail.com or you can talk to either one of us on the Facebook because we have a Facebook group which is how I met my murder murderellas because we love all of our murderellas out there um, come to the meetup we are doing a meetup of on Moral Day weekend, it's kind of informal, but our friends from Go Postal are going to come down and visit us. So please join us. We're going to have t-shirts and uh, we're working on having some merch to sell or give away um, to just kind of keep things fun. But just come talk to us. Well, you know, I'll, I'll even give you a hello uh, like I do at the beginning of every episode. So uh, once again, thank you guys so much. And I hope you enjoyed our very special episode. And now everybody together. Bye. Bye. Hey, true crime fans. Have you listened to Wine and Crime yet? We're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by three childhood friends who chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash our worst Minnesotan accents. Each week, us gals pick a true crime topic and pair it with a delicious wine before delving into the background and psychology behind the crime. Then we share and speculate wildly about a couple of bonkers cases related to the topic. Past episodes include necrophilia, cults, crimes of passion, cruise ship disappearances, exorcisms gone wrong, all this over a bottle of wine, or let's be real, three. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wine and Crime Pod, and check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. Cheers! Cheers.